Well, we're all wired up, so now we can go ahead. (laughs) I'd like to read this morning a passage from the Scripture from the book of Job. It's been particularly meaningful to me at this time of the year, and I'd like to read it. And perhaps God will speak to us just in the very reading of the, of the book. Job chapter 9. Then Job answered, In truth I know that this is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to dispute with him, he would not answer, Once in a thousand times, wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defiled him? Without harm, it is God who removes the mountains. They know not how when he overturns them in his anger. He who shakes their earth Out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun not to shine and sets a seal upon the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea, who makes the bear, Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, he who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number. Now turn to... Verse 32, for he is not a man that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There's no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Let him remove his rod from me and let me not dread of him. Terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, for I am not like that in myself. And may God bless the reading of his word. And I wonder if you could bring my notes up here. A number of years ago, I was in New York City on business. And a few friends and I were walking the streets following dinner. As we walked along, I saw a sign on the marquees of one of the many Broadway playhouses. And I was rather startled by what I read. And there it was in black, shiny letters. Your arms are too short to box with God. Your arms are too... Did you know that? Your arms are too short to box with God. I don't know what that play was all about. But my imagination was immediately fired up. I saw myself with stubby little arms, so short that they could hardly reach far enough to button my shirt. My thoughts were mismatch. I was rather startled by what I read. There I saw myself. Mismatch. God, majestic, omnipotent, almighty. And here I am with my short, stubby little arms. 
this meant a little bit to me because I used to box in the Navy. And, uh, but here I was, totally outmatched. I remember how frustrated I used to get when one of the big boys would uh, try to keep me away by simply extending their arms and pushing me away. My arms were just too short to make any difference. I've been feeling very small recently, very weak, inadequate. Particularly in the area of the majesty of God, I've been feeling very small, very, uh, what shall I say, very inadequate, just inadequate. I feel this way, however, when I think a little more deeply. I feel this way when I become aware of my neighbors, of how many of my neighbors don't seem to know God and my witness to them is so feeble. I feel this way after praying for a number of different countries in the 1040 window. For over two years, Kathy and I have been remembering the 1040 countries. The 1040 countries are those countries that are uh, have more people who are unsaved than most any other country in that uh, window. So we made a point of praying for the 1040 people. Well, chapter 9, the chapter that we were reading from, has been one of God's mercies to me. And I think it's the pivotal chapter of the entire book of Job. I think it's a pivotal chapter of the entire book. And perhaps the greatest issue uh, the book of Job finds its focus in chapter 9. Even though the problem of pain is one of the great issues of the book and one in the greatest issues of people, I do not think that it is the greatest issue of all. I think the far greater question of the book is, how can a small person a mortal, have a personal relationship with a God who is eternal. Have you ever thought of you having a personal relationship with the Almighty God? And here I'm thinking of that, and, and this chapter came to mind. Your arms are too short to box with God. You can't do it. It's impossible Does a small person count? Does a small person have a significance? Can a sinner be accepted by a God of justice, of righteousness, and perfection? I would like for us this morning to look at the struggle of Job, a struggle that is not unlike many in our days. Verse 2 sets the tone for the entire chapter. Job, first of all, agrees with Bildad in chapter 8 that God is, in fact, a God of justice. That God does not pervert things. That God is a God of truth. That God is perfectly just, doesn't twist or pervert things. That God is a God of 
justice and doesn't show favoritism. Suppose someone was feeling that he was suffering unjustly. And when I say that, I think of this man in, in Albania who's been in prison now for some nine to ten years, suffering there unjustly. He's got another 11 or 12 years to go. Uh, totally unjustly. Wrongly accused. How could that person go about establishing his innocence before God? What process or what avenues could one pursue? Verses 2 and 3 are written in the language of the law court. And the question Job struggles with is how can he so present his case to God as so as to win? That is to be proven innocent. Verses 2 and 3, as I said, are written in the language of the law court. And in the verses that follow, Job expresses a feeling of helplessness. The arms are too short to box with God. In the everyday affairs of life, how many here have felt inadequate to respond to someone even though you knew you were right? I have felt that way a number of times. I felt I was in the right, but... uh, How did I go about proving that I was in the right? My arms were too short. Couldn't do it. How many here have felt that another person could talk you out of your position and convince you, you know, the person always seemed to have a stronger argument and somehow your mind kind of blanked out and you felt stuck? Felt stuck. I've done quite a bit of uh, counseling. And uh, the idea of counseling, as I was taught, means that you feel stuck. You're in a place that you can't really move. Uh, you don't know where to go, what to say, what to do. And you, and you need somebody. You need a counselor that gets you out of that stuck position. How could that person go about establishing his innocence before God? What process or what avenues would one pursue? I wonder how many here feel like they've been treated unjustly and didn't know quite how to present their case so things could be straightened out. How many here have felt that another person could out-talk you and convince you Well, chapter 9 is full of questions. And they revolve around the issue of the character of God. Who He is. What He is. Can He be known? When we speak of God and His character, there are two words that I don't, that if you don't know them, I want to introduce them to you. The first word is transcendent. And the second is imminent. These two words sound alike and they summarize in some measure 
the concepts of God is found in our chapter. Now I want to look at this first word, transcendent. And please note this carefully. When we speak of someone or something being transcendent, we mean that 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 someone is above and beyond another person. When we say that God transcends the world he created, we mean he is beyond, greater than this world, greater than this universe. He stands far higher. He is over and above it all. He is transcendent. Actually, at the heart of our worship, we acknowledge God's greatness, the splendor of his majesty, the awesomeness of his person, the wonder of redeeming grace, the incomparable worthiness of the Savior. Is the God of the Bible transcendent? Of course he is. If he were not transcendent, God would not be God. If he were not transcendent, there would be no reason for us to ever give him an ounce of worship. But if God were strictly transcendent, if he were only above and beyond us, that would mean that God would be totally divorced from us. He'd be far distant from us. He's transcendent. He's way, way up there. If he were only above and beyond us, that would mean that God would be totally divorced from us. That we would have no communion with him. We would never have a place to meet him. We would never be able to enjoy fellowship with him. And if he were strictly transcendent, then God would be remote from us. We would know, we would have no access to him. Look again at chapter 9. And notice with me Job's struggle with the transcendence of God. In verses 3 and 4, we see God's wisdom as being profound. Deep. Beyond Job's understanding. In verses 5 and 6, Job sees God's power as awesome in the earth. In Job chapter 7 to verse 9, Job sees God's power as awesome in the heavens. And in that exam that God gives to Job, in chapters 38, 39, and 40, God gives Job a test. An examination. And he gives him 40 questions with which to respond. Job got it all wrong. He couldn't answer any of the words that dealt with the transcendence of God. God was so far above, so far beyond anything that Job could imagine or think about. That uh, Job said that he... uh, couldn't respond to God a single word. In verse 10, Job tells us that God's acts are too numerous to count and too wonderful to be understood. In verse 11, 
When he passes me, I will, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Here Job tells us that in spite of all this evidence that God is present and active in awesome ways, Job somehow doesn't see God. Somehow he has missed him. Are you aware of ever missing seeing God as you go about your daily routine in this world? Are you really aware that God is present and shows himself in ways that are too numerous to count? Sometimes we go about our lives as if God doesn't exist and somehow we fail to see him. A question I have of Job goes something like this. Job, how can you speak of God's wisdom and power in earth and in the heavens? You seem to be aware of this, so how could you justly have missed seeing him? I believe that the reason people miss seeing God is because God has not become personal to us. He remains the transcendent God, powerful, majestic, over and above everything, but distant, unreachable untouchable. I think many of us see the evidence of God as in Yosemite. We see the transcendence of God sometimes in a beautiful sunset. We may see evidence of God in the vastness of space, in the design of the human body. Whitaker Chambers came to know the Lord when he saw the majesty of the ear. He couldn't imagine anyone being so with it that he could make an ear. And he came to know the Lord through that understanding of a person hearing apparatus. Perhaps it was in the sense that Job and us failed to see God. We can speak of the glory and majesty of God, and that's good. But we need to see God reaching out to us. Just a few more verses in chapter 9. Verse 12 reminds us that God's power is irresistible. Actually, what does one say to sheer omnipotence? What do you say? What can you say? Verse 14 tells us it's futile to question God's wisdom and power. And back again to verse 12. If any of you ever wondered in the language of this verse, how are you doing, O God? What are you doing to me? I don't understand what you're doing. If you were asked to give you verse 2 in my own language, it would be something like this. How can I get out of my stuck position as I think about God? How can I think about Him? Does it cross my mind how majestic and how great and how omnipotent and how wonderful God is. 
Throughout the balance of chapter 9, Job continues to question. He doesn't give up his seeking, his search, his questions. And this brings me to the second word that I mentioned earlier. And the word there is imminent. Maybe you have trouble with this word because there's another word that sounds very much like it. Imminent, imminent. Two different words. And they mean something entirely different. Eminent means renowned. Eminent. His eminence means you're a great person. You're eminent. Eminent means high and elevated in terms of status. It probably refers to someone of great prestige, a judge, a king, a president, a world leader. And imminent means near. Imminent. We talk about the imminent return of our Lord. My time to quit speaking is coming soon. I say the Super Bowl is imminent. It means it is coming very quickly. When we speak of imminent, we are speaking of something that it, that is close with respect to space as you are close to the person you are sitting next to. It means not remote. It means not involved with us. It means involved with us. With regard to, to God being imminent, it means he is close at hand, not distant. The closest star to us is Alpha Centauri. And that's only two to three light years away. And that seems awfully distant. But God, in fact, is very close. He's imminent. And so the biblical view of God is not only that God is transcendent, not only that he is above and, and beyond everything, but that he makes himself present in the world. When we celebrate events like Good Friday, Easter, Christmas, we are saying to the world, we believe that the great almighty God has visited this planet and has come to be with us. And I hope that you heard these things, what is it, four months ago, roughly, when we celebrated Christmas. I hope that you heard these words, Emmanuel, God with us. And what does that mean? It means that he's imminent. The Gospel of John has a figure of speech that I just love. It tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us, or pitched his tent among us. He came close. I remember struggling with this particular word one time, and uh, uh, my family didn't, never went camping. We just didn't do it. But uh, we decided that we would go camping to Yosemite, but we didn't have a tent. We didn't have a, uh, a lantern. We didn't have uh, all of these necessities of camping. But my neighbor had them. And he was very generous. 
And so he uh, proffered his lantern and he proffered his tent. And there I was with a tent. I practiced setting it up in our backyard. And after a while, I got to be fairly good at it. I could actually set up a tent and I could actually light a lantern. So off to Yosemite we went. The lantern, I want to start with the tent first. The tent was easy to set up for me. But then the lantern, I couldn't somehow get it going. And so I went to my neighbor. I said, you know what's wrong? I, I can't start this lantern. There's, there's something wrong with it. And so he came over, took the lantern, shook it, and said, you don't have any fuel. You know, it won't light if you don't have any fuel. And I said, oh, that's the problem. Thank you very much. And so I lit the lantern, got some fuel. A little time passed and uh, things grew dark around our tent. This time I figured it out. I didn't put enough fuel in the lantern. So that was my experience in canting. But Jesus came and pitched his tent. Literally, that's what that means. He tabernacled. He set up a tabernacle or a tent. What a, I felt a little bit chagrined that I wasn't able to do this. Here I am, a, a, a graduate of Cal Berkeley and not able to set up a, a tent. A little humbling, you know. When we speak of imminent, we are speaking of something that is close with respect to space. And so the biblical view of God is not only that God is transcendent, not only that he is above and beyond everything, but that he makes himself present in the world. In verse 33... On the, we have one of the great flashes of insight in the Old Testament. Job's longing expressed in his questions is the cry of every human being. And that is the cry of reconciliation. I think every person in this world wants to be reconciled to somebody. Children and parents to each other. Husbands and wives to each other. Labor and management to each other, countries of the world to each other, neighbors to each other, brothers and sisters to each other. But the question, big question is how to do it. And Job in this verse suggests a way in which he can be reconciled to God. When Job expresses his longing for an arbitrator, an empire, or a daysman to lay his hand upon us both, to lay his hand on the person, and his hand on God. And that's an awesome concept. And I hope we get that concept that he puts his hand on both of us. The big question is how to do it. And Job in this verse suggests a way in which he can be reconciled to God. Job expresses his longing for an arbitrator, an umpire, a daysman. A person is one who can 
reconciled. He's the one who was able to place his hand on God and also place his hand on man. The person is a mediator, an intermediary, a go-between. And that's what we need so very, very badly. He is the one who can interpret each to the other. Me to God and God to me. That is why I love John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time but God, the only Son who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And Job is crying out for someone to create a way of meeting, a possibility of contact. Is there such a person? Is there an umpire? Is there a referee? Is there a go-between? Or is it such so much wishful thinking on the part of Job? In Job 16, Job tells us that his witness, his advocate, his intercessor, who is his friend, is now in heaven. What is he doing there? The text tells us in chapter 16, in verse 21, that he is there on behalf of a man he pleads with God as the man pleads with his friend. And who is this person? We turn to the New Testament for the answer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, we read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. This is Christianity at its most basic level. There is a mediator, there is an empire, there is a daysman, and his name is Jesus, the God-man. Please look at your Bibles at verse 2 once again. Reread the question with me. How can a mortal be righteous before God? Socrates once said, There must be a way in which a man can be reconciled to God, but I don't know how. And that was his great problem. I don't know how. Don't know how to be reconciled to God. The answer to these questions is by having the mediator, Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for us all. The Apostle Paul writes about Jesus as a mediator. We have access through him to the Father. Jesus, the imminent one, makes it possible for me to be in touch with the transcendent, majestic God. Conclusion. Your arms, my arms, are too short to box with God. Just can't reach out and touch Him. But He can reach out and touch us. He is too awesome, too powerful for us to reach Him on our own. We need someone to bridge the gap between us. 
We're grateful that the gap has been bridged through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. Thank God he doesn't deal with us according to his omnipotence. But rather he deals with us according to his grace, his mercy, his love. Perhaps my most favorite verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. And it says there, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only by the grace of God that I'm a believer. It's only by the grace of God that I am a Christian. It's only by his grace and his grace alone. Let's stop there and uh, let's ask God's blessing upon us. Father in heaven, we thank you that though you seem to be distant, transcendent, yet you are imminent, you are nearby. Father, thank you for becoming Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, though the world seems like he speaks of him as as if he seems so far, far away. And yet he is imminent. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and demonstrating to us that you can be reached. And that your love can touch us. Touch us in profound and deep ways. So Lord, we just pray that you would bless this congregation of your people. Help us, Father, to understand sometimes what seems to be the the misunderstandable. Help us, dear Father, to understand some of these concepts from your word as we read them. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.